Welcome to Conversations in Process, hosted by Jay McDaniel and co-sponsored by the Cobb Institute and Open Horizons. These conversations explore a way of understanding and living in the world that emphasizes the continual becoming and fundamental interconnectedness of all things. But they're also intended to provide an ongoing interaction in which the stories, insights, and wisdom of each conversation partner can expand your horizon and enrich your journey and process. In this conversation, Jay visits with John Gill, a good friend of Open Horizons and the Cobb Institute. John is currently a visiting assistant professor of philosophy at Gustavus Adolphus College and the cross-community coordinator at the Center for Process Studies. He's written multiple articles on a variety of topics such as Afrofuturism, religion, hip-hop, philosophy, post-structuralism, atheism, and creative writing. His most recent book, Underground Rap as Religion, a Theopoetic Examination of a Process Aesthetic Religion, was released by Rutledge in November 2019 as part of the Rutledge Studies in Hip-Hop and Religion. John recently completed editing at Claremont College's student volume on Afrofuturism and philosophy of religion entitled Toward Afro-Diasporic and Afrofuturist Philosophies of Religion. And he's also the co-owner of Sirius Cartoons Records and Tapes in San Bernardino, California. Well, welcome, John Gill. It, it's so good to see you. And I remember meeting you, oh, maybe 15 years ago or something close to that in Claremont some, when you were a graduate closer. student. Yes. And yeah. I briefly asked you, you know, well, what are you interested in? And you said something like, well, I'm interested in hip hop and process. And you were the first person I'd ever met that had used those two phrases in one sentence. <laughs> and I knew I wanted to get you to know you better. Uh, and I kind of want to start at the beginning, really. Let's so pre-John Gill, pre-process, and even pre-hip-hop, uh, who was John Gill early on such that later he became interested in hip-hop and process? Tell us a little bit about your background. Great, 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 great question. First of all, Jay, thank you for having me um, in Open Horizons. I'm really, really glad to be here to talk, uh, talk about things that are very, very important to us all. Um, so yeah, what, who, who am I? Well, um, I am originally from the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Um, um, I come from a mother who, who, whose parents are from the south, um, Arkansas and Mississippi. Um, my grandmother moved to Chicago in the early 50s. Um, and my father is from Central America. My father is from um, Belize. And he came to the U.S. in the 60s. And my, and my parents met um, and, and some years later um, brought me into the world after marriage. Um, and their backgrounds, their faith backgrounds were um, on, my, on my father's side, Methodist. On my mother's side, um, Baptist with some with my grandmother kind of having some um, death of God esque leaning. She would send my my mother and my aunts and uncles to church, but she wouldn't go herself. She had her own issues with with um, Christian theology. But um, but my parents converted to a type of charismatic Pentecostal Christianity, and that is what I grew up around. Um, I grew up in my uncle's church, who was a pastor, um, and. It was a word of faith type Pentecostal tradition. So it was um, branching off from those streams of thought. So not denominational Pentecostalism, but more non-denominational Pentecostalism, such as um, a la Frederick Casey, Price, Kenneth Hagin, et cetera. Um, so that was my context. Um, but a lot of it never made any sense to me. So um, I kind of wrestled with these questions and these are questions I would, would find out in later life were questions that we talk about in the philosophy of religion. These are, these are questions I, I would ask my mother. Okay, well you're telling me that God is the author of everything and God is the creator of everything and that number two, everything has to have a, a creator. So where did God come from? Who created God if this is the case? And then these are questions that would say, okay, well John be quiet. Then there were other questions I would have about, okay, well you're telling me that this way that you're seeing the world is the only way that a person should see the world. Um, why is that the case? And why should I be bound to this tradition 
that you're telling me because there's no way that you, you, you can prove that this is correct or incorrect. That was another thing. It was like, just leave it alone, John. Just accept it by faith. And, 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 and as a kid, I used to stray off to the library. You know, it was a library um, five blocks from where I grew up. South, shout to 95th and Halsted. Um, library called the Carter G. Woodson Regional Library in commemoration of the great Aphrodite-Sporic U.S. thinker, um, Woodson. And I would go there and just find myself in the religion section and the science fiction section, reading all kinds of things that were kind of antithetical to what I was supposed to be interested in, reading everything from Aleister Crowley to text on um, mind over matter type, metaphysical type stuff. Metaphysical in the sense of meaning this esoteric type thing, not metaphysical in the more Western philosophical description, even though I was reading that stuff too. But um, I was kind of wrestling with all this, trying to figure out what life was supposed to be like. You know, so this, this, this is all kind of pre-hip-hop um, or kind of when I came in contact to hip hop, really, um, around this time period. And hip hop was something I always found fascinating because I found it, even though I didn't even realize at the time, I found it to be a way of kind of interacting and parsing out what it means to live in the world. So, and I'm kind of going back to go forward. Now, I was about three years old, three, four years old. And I used to see these, and I'll, and I'll talk more and more about this later on. But um, I used to see these people outside of my um, house breakdancing um, and with, with cardboard and just doing all these kind of amazing moves. And I always said, this is fascinating. I didn't understand my connection to it, but I said, I'm, there's something about that that's me. I can't figure it out yet. And in later life, I did. Kind of a, you know, a come to something type moment, you might say I had in later life, but it was always there. But um, just us to go back to this whole kind of parallel pre-hip-hop thing. So I wanted to be a pastor at one time. Um, and I wanted to find myself in some kind of tradition like I grew up in. Um, but I, I wound up going to undergrad, pursuing a degree in biblical studies. I minored in um, information technology, which I didn't finish that minor, but I started with it. But um, I, I got a degree in biblical studies and the whole, the whole time I'm trying to make sense of this stuff that I'm told I need to make sense of, but it never really made sense. Um, because of the claims I just mentioned, the dogmatism, because of the logical inconsistencies of certain things, but I'm still trying to match, trying to wrestle with it. So I go and I get um, a bachelor's degree in biblical studies, but, but see, by this time I've kind of learned to at least have some kind of context with which to deconstruct the text I've been reading for most of my life, learning about historical critical methods, learning about um, context, learning about languages and learning about well, the things that, that, that these, these translations that were given in English don't really reflect what the original intent of the authors were saying and how the people were reading and understood the material to begin with. So I was still in the church at this time but I was straying further away because I'm beginning to pick up these tools that helped me, that gave me really arguments for things I'd been saying since I was five years old, you know? And so, but I'm still in the realm, but I said, okay, I may not want to be a pastor, but I want to do something involving theology or religious studies. So I wind up going to McCormick Theological Seminary um, for, a Master's of Arts in Theological Studies. Hey, John, let me stop you right there just Sorry. before we get to McCormick. Um, in that early experience with your mom and your dad and the charismatic kind of religion, I think of Pentecostalism as involving emotions and sound and vital worship and all kinds of things that aren't so much a matter of doctrine, but a matter of immediate feeling, you might say. Was that part of you too, or were you so curious, so intellectually interested that that side of it uh, didn't touch you quite so much, or or was that there was that there at all? Maybe I have a misperception of the Pentecostalism that shaped you. No, you're definitely right. You're definitely that that part was there, you know, and and that and that part is very important to emphasize. There was a big focus on 
these movements of the spirit mm-hmm. as they're as they're called. So um, the church that I grew up in, my uncle's church, was heavily based on these kind of manifestations, but there were there were also a lot of doctrinal components to explain those things. I and, see. So it was really both, huh? both right. the doctrinal and the ex- experiential. Correct. Mm-hmm. And and the explanation of the experiential just didn't make sense to me, you know, because there's one. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say there's there's one thing to have an experience, you know. I mean, it's funny because I, I because I've I've just been doing some actually some some um some some I'm, I'm doing some work on Schleiermacher right now. So this kind of comes up, um, but there's this there's something about immediate experience that is fine. Mm-hmm until you try to codify it and say, okay, well, that your experience has to be of such through these certain rules, through these sort of, you know, um, um, prohibitions and things like that. So, so yeah, but, so I, I guess for me, and this of course connects to hip hop in several ways, I was always fine with the impromptu manifestations of what people call spirit in us in those traditions. But I just wasn't fine with, okay, well, this unbridled thing has to follow these certain laws. And, and, and in order to engage in these sorts of expressions, you have to live a life that, that checks off box X, Y, Z. Well, that, that makes such sense. And so John, still before we get to McCormick, and I can't wait to get there, uh, on the Pentecostal question, this is simply a matter of curiosity that I've had. So I've listened to your music. Uh, I've, wa- I've listened to your lyrics. I've been amazed at the um, imaginative complexity and speed uh, of, of your lyrics, uh, of, your, of your rapping, I guess you'd say. And I've often wondered if there's any connection between the feeling tones of listening to really good rap and the feeling tones of hearing a glossolalia, uh, speaking in tongues, which, which also is a kind of mysterious kind of language that you, you swim in. Sure. But you don't fix on any particular word because it's the whole experience that counts. Was there glossolalia in your Pentecostalism, number one? And even if there wasn't, are there any connections, do you think? There definitely was glossolalia in my um, experience when it comes to and, and, and as we know, some, some um, manifestations of, of Pentecostalism don't have it in it. But yes, mine did. Um, my, my mother was an avid and still is an avid speaker of tongues. Um, so um, actually, I think there is a connection between that and what happens in not just what I do in rap, but what several other skilled people do. Um, this even comes into play if you listen to Coltrane's work. You know, um, the rapper Rakim, legendary rapper, makes the statement that when he, when he began rapping, he tried to imitate rhythmically what Coltrane was doing on um, the saxophone. But I think there are definite connections between that and what happens in glossolalia. And maybe that's something I pick up more when I, when I, when I, when I am see, I don't even think about it, but that's actually a good thing to even consider because I grew up around that. And this was another thing that was a, that was a very, um, of course, spontaneous thing, but they put laws around that yeah. and, said, and said, okay, well, in order for this to happen, you have to live a certain life. You have to wait for God to give this to you. You have to do, there's, there's, there's several. So I, I, I guess the thing I like about if, if rapping is glossolalia, it's glossolalia without the rules. Well, that's a wonderful way to put it. That's so interesting. And um, I'm sure you're familiar with scat as well in jazz. Um, you know, I, I really enjoy that. That too seems connected in my mind to glossolalia yeah. and to rap. Um, yeah. I don't know if scat is with or without rules. Um, yeah. But, but it sure is brilliant. It sure yes, is. It is. Yes, it is. But you know, that experiential side of things intrigues me because I grew up a Methodist uh, like your dad. 
Mm-hmm. And, and Methodists are interested in the movements of the spirit and the heart. Uh, now, right. now, the tradition I grew up in was, was white, and we sure didn't have that kind of vitality. But we mm-hmm. did care about experience. We did care right. about experience. So um, let's go to McCormick and, and take it from there. Yeah. So I was, so okay, I get to this point where I am at a crossroads between, okay, well, what do I do with this faith thing? But even if I don't do that, I'm still interested in, in philosophy and religious studies and theology. So maybe I could pursue that. So this is why, so when I go to Emmett, so when I, when I go to McCormick, I decide to do the Master of Arts as opposed to an MDiv. Because I said, okay, well, if I do an, M, if I do an MA, I'm setting myself up for possible doctoral work. And if I want to, I still could pursue ministry in some form. I could even go back for an MDiv, but I'm not that wedded to that at the time. So um, I went that direction. Mm-hmm. And, and shout out to Jose Francisco Morales, who is a professor, who is the assistant professor of Latinx studies and um, at Chicago Theological Seminary. He's one of the people who really pushed me to go to McCormick and he was already there. So, you know, he really paved the way for me to do that. So I, I got to give him a shout out for that. Um, he, he, was, he, he's, he, he was also my first DJ. Um, when I started rhyming. He, and so he does a lot of very, very cool things. He goes by the name DJ Emologics. He has a program once a month that y'all could catch on, on, on a radio station in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's an online station. But so I get to McCormick and I begin to just stretch my mind. You know, I stretch, you know, I, I was speaking of CTS, I took a lot of classes at CTS. I took courses on Tillich there. I took courses on history of Christian thought. I took, there were, there were several things that kind of stretched my mind in terms of what, it, of what Christianity meant and could mean. And, and in that space is when I encountered process thought in, in the space of um, Anna Case Winters, who is a process theologian at McCormick, um, had kind of put a bug in my ear about some things. And I took a course at um, Chicago Theological Seminary called Process Theism. And um, and that kind of opened my mind up to a lot of things. And and so I took that course, I read Adventures of Ideas, read Process and Reality, read Science and the World, and I was really, really fascinated by the way Whitehead talked about uh, the world and talked about um, how one could live in the world with force, with, with force and vibrance. Um, and just this notion of, well, things aren't really things, that everything relates to everything and that everything is always becoming. And for me, that was a really fantastic way to look at the world, which may even link back to my um, charismatic Pentecostal upbringings and things of that nature. Um, and even some ways, you know, I take maybe some of this from my, my uncle, um, the Reverend Harold Gill, who was um, who who was the superintendent of um, the Methodist Church in the Caribbean in Belize and Honduras. And he actually, um, I dedicate my book to him. And our our conversations were very interesting because he was a lifelong Methodist, as many of my family were. Um, my my other family kind of switched to Pentecostalism. But I had the best of both worlds. So, and my and, and my uncle um, graduated from Emory, and then and then after he finished with Emory, he went back to Belize. Then he wound up going to different parts of the Caribbean. He retired in Saint Kitts and Nevis, and he passed a few years. He passed in 2017. I was at his funeral in Saint Kitts and Nevis. Um, but so. When I began to kind of really get into this deep theological stuff, the stuff that the stuff that people call this deep theological stuff, it was really reminiscent of the stuff that my uncle was into. And we would have good conversations about everything. And we'd all, we actually have like debates about Tillich. And I'm like, no, I don't think he's saying that, uncle. And he's like, no, I think he is. <laughs> so they, these were kind of, I had a great conversation at this stage of my life when I got there. Um, so after McCormick, um, well, actually, no, I got to take a step back because after I took my first process class, the next year I, t- I took the class with Dr. Ma- uh, Annika Coleman, 
who was at, at that time was at the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago, which is adjacent to McCormick. And by that time I was hooked. And the way she presented process was just fascinating to me. And so by that time I was sold. And so um, I wound up applying to the THM. Well, actually I applied to the, to the, to the PhD program at the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. And I um, finished the THM there. Then I wound up coming to CGU to just finish up the work. Um, because by the time I finished the end of my THM, there was no one in Chicago who was doing process at that point. Gamwell was about uh, to retire. Dr. Coleman had come to Claremont. Tandeka wasn't really around like that. You know, um, I believe she's, she's, I'm not sure if she's still at Meadville, but she wasn't around like that. So, so Anna Case Winters really wasn't taking on doctoral students and stuff like that. So um, the chance came to go to CGU and I had always wanted to go there since I'd encountered process. So I said, well, I can't pass this chance up. So I went to CGU and the rest is still becoming. It's not history, it's still becoming. Let me ask you a question right there. A lot of times when people are drawn to process, I'm sure you know many of these people, it's the concept of God that's at the center. Oh, this is a way of thinking about God. But what I heard you say was, in a way, it was the understanding of the cosmos that, that was attractive, the vital uh, vibra vibrational, interconnected, always becoming universe. Um, is that the case? And did you have an initial, what did you make of the process concept of God then? And how did that change over the years or, or whatever? Yeah. Great, great. And yeah, you know, it's really, really interesting because you're right. For me, and for many people who do theology, it is the concept of God and why did it catch it? But for me, it wasn't even that. You know, I mean, the idea of God was sort of a backdrop. Now, the idea of God I always found very interesting. And I still find it, and I, and I grow to become very, and I've grown to become very fascinated by it. But for me, it was this talk of, you know, an actual entity and event, intensity, you know, those are just fascinating things. And I mean, and these things reminded me of hip hop, you know, and I, I guess we'll talk more about that soon. But yeah, um, but to answer your question about the idea of God, as, a, as someone who was coming out of my tradition, in the, as we say in the world of hip hop, I had beef with the idea of God and Whitehead. Like, I liked it, but I said, this can't be. I said, there's something wrong with this. You know, I said, this is not, and I even did a paper for my first process theism class about how to reconcile omnipotence and omnipresence with the process God. It didn't really come out too well. Um, the professor was gracious to me, <laughs> but, um, but no, I didn't, the, the, the thing about it, I didn't oppose it, but I said, there's something wrong with this. It's, it's just too good to be true. This, this sort of, this sort of way of looking at God is sort of, but then as I, I begin to think about it, I had to remind myself, well, these are the same problems I had with God growing up that the, the, the Whitehead has given an answer to. Now, he's not the only one to give these answers to them, but in, but in this moment, I was encountering his answers to these questions. So I had to think back and I said, well, if I'm really being fair, you know, he is not too far off from what some, some of the things I was saying. I mean, he, of course, said it more eloquently and then there, and there were different ways in which he did it. But yeah, so, but yeah, to answer your question, I at first was like, this, this can't be right. <laughs> but, you know, as I begin to think about it, and I said, well, this way of looking at God, it gives you it gives good answers for theodicy. It creates a dialogue between religion and science. It also creates um, interfaith perspective. It also creates, you know, college work on pluralism. It also does all of those things that the God I was given as a child couldn't do and, and found taboo. Well, now we're going to get to your your perspective now, but first we're going to jump into hip hop. Just one one word about God there. Um, I ran. In, I heard about a rabbi the other day that was in, fully familiar with process thought and and didn't buy it. Um, in, in particular, the notion of God and and his his response is, you know, I think God is bigger than that. And, and by bigger, I don't know that he meant more powerful, but he at least meant more mysterious. 
and, and not as easily frameable in a set of concepts. Mm-hmm. And I've run into other folks who said, you know, I, I get this idea of the process, God, uh, all sweetness and light, but too sweet, too much light. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's, there's more to this mystery than that. So I, I mentioned that the too sweet critique and the bigger and more mysterious critique were either of those afoot in your uh, not being fully persuaded by all that you were being presented or, or not? Was it something else? What, what was afoot in that? I don't know about this. You. you know, you know what that in some ways the too sweet idea was, but 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 the way that came up for me was through the notion of omnipotence, uh-huh. which, which which of course hard someone calls a theological mistake mm-hmm. among among other omnis. But I mean, I think so. This idea of um, because many, many would like to say, well, of course, we're taught in these traditions that, well, regardless of what happens, God is in control, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and that control would indicate a kind of um, benevolence that kind of sees around the corner when you only see to the corner, as mm-hmm. some people in my tradition would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was really my big thing, you know, okay, well, I've been, well, this notion of God, now and now and now, just to keep in mind, now this is at a, at a time where I'm doing some heavy work in Tillich. We're reading Death of God stuff, you know, doing a lot of things that, again, weren't new, but these are these are new. These are these were new ways of thinking about old problems that my ancestors thought about in, in terms of having to shift religions from. Traditional things that come from the continent of Africa to Christianity. These are questions that they, they I'm sure, ask. These are questions that my grandma would ask. Okay, what does this Christianity thing even mean? You know. So, so, the, so at this point, I'm just, I'm just finding new language for old problems. Just to be clear about that. Um, but, but yeah, I think so. I'm looking at all these things in some different ways, and I think this is my, these were my main issues. Okay, well, I've been taught this, and this is. I don't necessarily agree with what I've been taught, but how, how do I make sense of something else? Or do I have to reject the whole idea of God itself? Mm-hmm. You know, so I was kind of in between a, a lot of rocks and a lot of hard places. But yeah, it was really, really the whole, really the Omni thing was the main thing that I just said, okay, I said, okay, I, I, I have to find, I have to find, a, find a way to reconcile these because, so that was the big thing for me. Gotcha, gotcha. Now let's jump into hip hop now, um, fully and completely. Uh, how, tell me about what it meant to you, what it means to you, how it transformed your life, where you are now, um, all hip hop, John. Let, let's do it, let's do it. Um, so yeah, when I was coming up, um, I, I mentioned my encounter with seeing breakdancers as a kid. Um, and I'll talk about the elements of hip hop in just a minute. But um, so there was something about that that stuck with me. And at the age of about eight or nine, I began to be exposed to rap music because living on the south side of Chicago at that time and probably still now, I, I don't live there now, but when I go back, this is true. It's kind of hard to escape that, yeah. you know, that's, that's, you're going to hear rap music all around you, you know? And it's really interesting because at the time I was growing up, it was during the late, yeah, around that time it was a little bit less prevalent because Chicago was always known as a house music city in terms of electronic music. But then a shift began to come when major radio stations began playing rap on the radio on, on, in the early 90s. Um, but for a period of time, rap music in Chicago was the property of college radio, such, such as the University of Chicago radio, the WHBK 88.5 FM, as we call it, the pride of the South Side, other stations like that, um, other small indie stations. At, at one point, they were the only places, they were only people who were playing rap music. But that kind of changed in the early 90s and you have stations, the bigger stations begin to play it. But I was confronted by it and I was just fascinated by the way people were putting words together and just the ideas they were expressing. And now, mind you, I'm growing up in a Pentecostal character in my in a, in a household. 
and, and there are prohibitions in some cases against secular music, whatever that means. My, my, my mother knows what it means. My father didn't really care that much, but he sometimes would just say, okay, well, your mom said, don't listen to that. But then they would go back and forth because at one minute, mom is saying, I don't want that in my house. Next minute, they're sitting there and she's not saying anything. So it's like, you get a lot of different signals about that, you know? So, but yeah, so I was, so I was into that. I kind of got fascinated by what people, and I, and I was, and I was like, wow, they're doing some really amazing things. And I, and I said, I could never do that. I said, I'd never be able to do anything like that. Like just because if they were things that were taking you to, to, to the dictionary, there were things that were making you think about the world, about thinking, thinking about who, who you were as a post-colonized person, you know, and just, there were so many things that were going on in that period of time in rap music, which actually are resurfacing now in popular rap music. So, um, yeah, and, and then I, I, got, I, I got out of it for a few years because I got it turned on to a lot of classic rock stuff and I kind of would listen to that. I kind of wanted to be a rock guitarist for a few years. And my mother bought me an electric guitar um, amplifier didn't go too far. Um, didn't go. I can play a few songs. It didn't go too far at all. But um, but yeah, so that was a period of my life for about three years. And then there, when I was 16, there was a CD by um, a Christian rap group called Tunnel Rats. Um, and now just to, just, to, just to put the context, um, at this time in Christian rap music, this is mid-90s, um, most of the Christian rappers that I was familiar with were just proselytizing. They were trying to use the music to preach the gospel. And a lot of it was just bad. I mean, quality wise, a lot of the folks just had no talent, you know. But Tunnel Rats, they had a CD called Experience. It's like 10 of them. And I think it's more now, but it was 10 of them. And while everybody is saying, come to Jesus, they're like, look, We'll battle anybody, you know, like, like we, we, we will destroy you lyrically. And then just like the, 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 the songs were just so aggressive. I'm like, this is Christian rap. Like, you gotta be kidding me because there was no preaching. It was just words among words among words, you know, I mean, just, just, I mean, just amazing punchlines, amazing metaphors, you know, just, and, and at the end of the CD, they had like a semi um, preacher. They had like I could a semi come to Jesus message because their theology was very evangelical, but a lot of their fans wouldn't wouldn't even know because there were there were, there were folks outside the church who were diehard Tunnel Rats fans, and many many Tunnel Rats would actually get into battles and. For evangelical rappers, you weren't supposed to be battling because battling was boasting. But Tunnel Rats was like, forget that. But they did all that stuff, you know? And so I was really amazed. And that, that's not the only thing. What they also did was they taught people about hip hop because a lot of Christian rappers were misleading Christian kids who knew nothing about the culture of hip hop because that's all you're listening to. You don't know that hip hop is composed of graffiti, DJing, break dancing, rapping being the last element of the culture. See, Tunnel Rats is talking about all of that. You know, their first, the first lyric on the records was was um, see if I can get it right. Um, piecing together, um, piecing together broken minds with break dancing, I'm messing up the line, but, um, but basically the, the line of the, the first line is saying, well, hip hop is all of these elements and you're selling yourself short to not include them in, in anything. So, but it was just a, an, an amazing record. And I said, okay, I, got, I need to be doing this. And from that point, I kind of just got into it more and I just began to create records a few years afterwards. You know, I got into a big Wu-Tang Clan phase and then, then I began to get really, immersed into the underground scene in the city of Chicago. And then things just kind of went from there. So you, you mentioned like the four features of hip hop culture, um, rapping being the last, breakdancing, graffiti, and 
DJing. DJing. You want to say a word just about each, uh, just for the audience? I mean, you know, just just a word or two about each one. Yeah, Hip hop is, is a, you know, for those that don't know, it's not just a style of music, it's also a whole culture. It's a culture. And these are the kind of, these are four features of it. Is that uh, Trisha Rose that came up with that? Or? No, no. Um, these are these are sort of the things that the founders of the culture came up with. Everybody right, yeah. right. Well, go ahead with each one, if you will. Yeah, yeah sure, sure. Um, I'll even start with the first element. Um, a lot of this starts in the East Coast, um, between Philadelphia and, and the Bronx, New York. Now, um, graffiti, as we know it, is stylized writing on walls um, and a battling that, that emerges between artists on private property. This is, this is the first element of the culture, the first historical element. Um, the next element is breakdancing or style or styles of dancing that are derived, that are created by inhabitants of the Bronx and are derived from several types of movements around the world, from Chinese Kung Fu movies to capoeira, to um, different, different types of Angolan expressions and dance. Um, salsa elements are involved in it, acrobatics. There's several things that, that converge on what's called breakdancing. It's a very, very aggressive style of dancing. Um, DJing, which is not just playing records, um, was invented by, which is arguably invented by um, DJ Cool Herc, who was originally from Jamaica and who goes to the Bronx and starts playing records on turntable. He plays, he puts the same, he starts putting the same record on two turntables and looping the certain part that the break dancers like to dance to. And the loop in hip hop music right now, in many ways, is, is derivative of what Cool Herc was doing in those early, he's, he, he, he called the whole thing the merry-go-round. So this is, and, and KRS says the DJing is not the technology, is what the human does to the technology. Scratching records, blending things, you know, putting things together that some people say don't go together, that's DJing. Now, MCing or rapping kind of happened as somewhat of an accident because at one time when Cool Herc started doing these parties, it started at 1520 Sedgwick Avenue in the Bronx. Um, he utilized a Jamaican style of hype in the crowd called toasting to get the break dancers into the music more. Now, I want to just pause and say um, sometimes that we forget that um, hip hop in many of its origins is Caribbean, from, um, from um, Puerto Rico, from Cuba, from Jamaica, from Trinidad, from Barbados. Um, so many of the, of the founders were from these places. And so one of the sharpest connections between Jamaica and the Bronx is this tradition of toasting, which Cool Herc starts doing, which is talking over the records. But then there were people who began to start doing that for him. Coke LaRock, who is known as the first MC or master of ceremony, which is what sometimes we call MCs, move the crowd, people who move the crowd. And then people started beginning to write lyrics, man, and then that became a whole feature of the culture. And the reason why people associate hip hop with rap nowadays is, is because when rap records began to be made in 79, first of all, the people who started the thing weren't even thinking about records. They were just thinking about competing between communities as a way of decreasing gang violence. But when records started being made, the primary medium was rap music because that's what was being recorded. You, you could package that and you, you, you can sell that as music in ways that you can't package breakdancing, graffiti or DJ, even though those had their heyday in the commercial spotlight as well. But what was, um, but what kind of became more permanent was rapping. So that's kind of a short history of the elements of hip hop. And some will say there, there's a fifth, sorry, there, there is a fifth, which is, for Africa Bambata, knowledge, wisdom, and uh, uh, understanding. And that kind of, that, 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 and that fifth element, which Bambata draws from Islam, Judaism, Christianity, combines all four. 
knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Yeah. As number five. Yes. Oh, that's very yes. interesting. Yes. It's very interesting. Yes. So, uh, you know, having read your book and know, knowing your work a little bit, do you understand uh, each of the four as uh, rituals within a an underground religious tradition? Or can you frame those four in some context that would make sense to people interested in religion or religious studies? Oh, sure, sure. Um, I sort of think that the elements themselves are ways of not only understanding the self, but understanding the self's place in the world. Because I like to say it like this. Um, some would say that, uh, I mean, and, and for, 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 for Socrates, maybe philosophy is preparation for death. I think hip hop is preparation for life. And so um, there's something about the practice of the elements that centers a person and what's most important to them in their world. So in this notion of the elements of hip hop, you have a people who were impoverished, who were the, the, who were the recipients of several types of socioeconomic and political violence. There's, there were several things that they were plagued by, but this notion of hip hop in some ways was a salvation of sorts. Because as I mentioned, um, there was a gang problem in the Bronx in the, in the early 70s. And um, one of the founders of the philosophy of hip hop culture, Africa Bambata, who goes on to create what's called the Universal Zulu Nation, after the death of um, a gang member, Black Benji, he met up with several gang members at the, at the boys club on Ho Avenue. I, I don't know if it's still there now, but at, at his time there was a boys and girls club. So he has a meeting with all the street, the, the, all the street warriors, all the heads of state, if you will. And basically the whole thing is, look, we have to stop this. We have, we have to stop this. And so, and, 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 and from that meeting comes this whole convergence of these four elements into competitions that don't end in violence, but end in, in people shaking hands and learning about each other, sharpening skills. But this in a way, for me, I call it a religious experience because if a religion reorients a person to what matters most, we see hip hop culture doing just that. And in this, it's also a salvation of identity because these are the people whose society is, is said are the dregs. But in doing this, these arts, or by being involved with them just as a onlooker, there's something that happens where your self-identity is reimagined and reaffirmed and, and even recreated. So the self before hip hop is not the self after hip hop. And that's a very, to me, that's a very religious experience, which can be translated either, either in, a, in a more naturalistic way or a Pentecostal type of way. I kind of hear you saying you can have that religion, um, God or no God. I, uh, institutional religion or no institutional religion. Yeah. Uh, is that accurate? Yes. Very much so. Very much so. That, that's, that, that's the way I read hip hop culture, you know, it's, and especially because a lot of my work deals with underground hip hop culture, which I kind of argue is really a monument to the beginnings of the culture. And so there are several things about an independent or underground hip hop culture that reflect the way things began. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say for sure in that realm, but I, but I think that applies to hip hop and all of its manifestations it's a, it's a form of religion mm -hmm. because it does those things. So one, one thing that, that I, I'll put on the kind of God perspective for a minute and you know, in, in process thought, God is among other things, a lure, um, both to be uh, attentive to the way things are and open to the way things can be. And sometimes when you're attentive to the way things are, it's not that things are happy. <laughs> Right. Good. 
or just, but you're honest to the way things are. You're honest. And open, openness to the way things can be is open, openness to some kind of fresh possibility, some sense of hope, some mm-hmm. sense that things can be different for us, for me. Mm-hmm. So um, for, from my part, I would hear some of that in, in the hip hop culture, but both of those things, the honesty uh, and, and the hope actually. Uh, what I also hear so interesting is the critique amidst the honesty of the status quo um, including, among other things, private property. <laughs> yes. So, so, so yes. The, the notion of, of graffiti um, as um, destabilizing the whole idea that walls right. and other things are owned by the powers that be. I mean, is that accurate? Perfectly. Yeah, that's, that's actually a great read, Jay. Yeah. That's, and, and see, I think... That's important to people who are looking at hip hop culture from an outside perspective, because and KRS once says it, you have to understand the way we talk before you criticize it, you know, and and this and this goes further. You have to understand the way we paint. Yeah, you have to understand the way we play with records. You have to understand the way with the way with the way we dance, the way we think, you know, hip hop is a reinterpretation of life itself. So, yes. Um, what does it mean to have private property and whose expense is that property there on, you know, and, and, and for many, and I, I think the logic of graffiti is this social instability. Okay. Well, this is a, this is a society who's told me that my life has no value. Here is the exact antithesis of that, you know, my my value is inscribed upon the things that you say are private, you know, you know, and, and it, it it does challenge notions of um, the have and the have not. The challenges notions of the one percent who ruled everything and those who the rest of us who don't. So yeah, these are gra- graffiti is not just a tag or it's not just a burner as we call a piece that might stick out of the wall. It's not just you know a throw up. It's not just that. There are other things that are going on under that. And then another thing, John, that really strikes me is the sheer creativity. Um, uh, take, for example, the birth of hip hop and, and the notion of scratching records, <laughs> of taking uh, forms of technology uh, developed for one purpose and imaginatively thinking of another purpose and making that happen. Um, that, to my mind, that's that's a whole lot of process in there, but you don't need to call it that. But do you want to say a word about the sheer creativity? Yes, yes. And see, I think that's what keeps my eye on it. And that's, that's what keeps me a part of it. Just, there's no limit. You know, what's, for many people, what makes, a per, what makes an individual most synchronized with hip hop culture is their ability to think outside the box. How, okay, okay, well, well, you've gone this far. How much further can you go? Okay, well, you've thought of this. How else can you say what you just said? What other song concept can you think of to illustrate this? You know, I mean, and a part of that goes back to battling. You know, I mean, many of us came up in these one-on-one competitions against people in the streets or either in tournaments. And, you know, and this is something that, it's a rite of passage of sorts, you know. I mean, when you win some, you lose some, but you always leave sharpened, you know. And so the creativity to be able to win a battle, sometimes you think, okay, well, this person has said this, okay. Somebody else has said X, Y, and Z about them. What can I say differently? And you're thinking about all this in the minute, in the moment. And so this is something like I said, hip hop is preparation for life. This creativity transcends the, the culture of hip hop. This is how this, this helps you live in the world. You know, being the best that you, you can be, finding ways to creatively create justice in the world. You know, um, these are things, these are life skills that hip hop teaches you. And so, yeah, I mean, this, but they all revolve around the sheer creativity of it. Mm-hmm. So are there collective hopes um, here 
uh, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with the Afrofuturist movement and, and the idea of imagining the world as it is in light of the world as it can be mm-hmm. uh, and should be. Mm-hmm. And I've read a little bit of your, your work uh, in response to Afrofuturism, but can you, you can link it with Afro, Afrofuturism or, or whatever you want, but wherein lies, if at all, um, a social hope? I mean, you mentioned a just society. I'd just say a bit more about that, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would even go back to the beginning of the Zulu nation, which I mentioned, Africa Bambada, when he creates this, um, who, 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 who was born Kevin Donovan, who was a leader of, who was a leader of a gang called the Black Spades in the Bronx, or not, or not the main leader, but he is a, he is a, a leading member of the gang. He gets a scholarship, goes to, I forget which country in Africa, but he, but, he, but he goes and he learns about several parts of Afro diaspora and African history that aren't taught. And he comes back with this renewed vision. This is when he kind of begins these philosophies of hip hop. And, and, um, and really he talks about four things when he kind of creates the Zulu nation, which for him is universal. They're, 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 they're chapters all over the world, a Zulu nation. Um, at this point, Zulu nation has been around for over 40 of almost about 40 years. Um, but there are, four, there, there are four things, peace, love, unity, and ha- having fun. And so um, I think that is the hope of many schools of hip hop. Um, the temple of hip hop, which is a tradition that stems from Zulu Nation is, is started by and, and spearheaded by KRS-One. There, there are temples all over the world there are temples of hip hop all, all over the world, and, and people who practice this philosophy, this 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 drawn up in KRS's "The Gospel of Hip Hop," which I actually talk about in my book as well. Um, but there there are hopes for a reimagining of how we live. You know, um, what what are the things we eat, um, and how do those things affect the environment? Um, what kind of political policies do we deal with? Do we is the evil to engage in political systems at all? Should we just break off from the whole thing and say, no, we, we, we reject this. Um, there are several things that kind of converge into what KRS calls a collective consciousness, which for, for him is this kind of uni, universal region of understanding that people around the world tap in to create better worlds and to and um, because what does it look like when hip hoppers are heads of state, when hip hoppers have small businesses, when hip hoppers are urban gardeners, when hip hoppers are, are fighting on the front lines of social justice, what happens? And this is the case right now. This is not any, anything that's not happening. I mean, many, many people who practice these philosophies are in these positions. So if there is a sort of collective hope that for some, I can't speak for everybody involved in hip hop who calls themselves hip hop, but for many people, this is their vision, you know, creating just worlds by connecting communities around the world and, you know, learning about, learning about the world through peace, love, unity, and having fun. There's a, there's a popular breakdancing song um, by Jimmy Castor and um, by the, by, by the Jimmy Castor bunches and it's called, it's just begun. Um, and one of the hooks that I think sums it up, one of the refrains in the song, I think sums up what many hip hoppers are looking for, which, and the refrain is, peace will come the world will rest once we have togetherness. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of what I look at when I, when I look at communities in hip hop culture. There's, there's a dimension of that, John, that I, I appreciate, uh, especially, uh, and it's the having fun. And I'll tell you why. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of processed people are interested in ecological civilization. That's their phrase. It sounds a bit like uh, the dreams of Zulu Nation. And it seems to me hip hop culture can add a whole lot to uh, the further envisioning of e- ecological civilization. And in Claremont at the Cobb Institute, they're working with the city of Pomona um, 
uh, to help create what they call compassionate communities, which are the building blocks of ecological civilization. So the images of a world that's a network of compassionate communities sounds a lot like a world that's a network of Zulu nation folks and mindset. Yeah. But sometimes people that have that ethical earnestness forget that dimension of life, which is simply to have fun. Uh, it's the joy of, of creativity, the joy of togetherness, uh, actually the joy of combat, the joy of combat. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me that that is one of the gifts that uh, hip hop culture can can offer everybody, actually. Yeah. Everybody. Yes. I so I, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree more that this is that this is something that engages the zest of life, you know, and so yeah, don't, yeah. That's don't, the don't take stuff that seriously, you know, you know, stuff is serious. Yeah, it is serious. <laughs> but let's not go to, to the point of where we stop living, yeah. you know? Yeah. Zest, what a wonderful word. What a wonderful word. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're a musician yourself and our time's about up, but tell us uh, where you going, what excites you now, musically, philosophically, vocationally, anything you want to say is interesting to us. Okay. okay. Start with the musical. Start with the musical. Start with the musical. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Um, so I have been doing some mixtape projects recently, which is just, which is just, I haven't released a full length record since 2016. Um, and that was a record I did called Pieces of War, which actually was a white Indian derived concept. That was a vinyl only release. Um, I still have a few of those left, um, but I haven't done I haven't done a, an actual project since 2016. I, I've been just rapping on beats and just putting them out and just kind of just stretching my creativity a bit. I am working on a project with a good friend of mine whose name is IB Focus. He's from a crew called Tomorrow King. I'm actually a part of this crew, Tomorrow Kings, but we're doing a project. Um, we actually did one. It was called Advent of Modern Bible. And we're collectively, we call ourselves Advent. Um, we're doing the, a, a second one by, um, that's totally produced by a beat-making crew in Chicago, le legendary beat-making crew called the Opus. Um, they had a lot of success in the early, in the early 2000s in the underground market in, in Japan. Their stuff is highly sought after. It's just fantastic work. So they produced... 10 tracks for us. We're doing a record called Advent 2, The Lost Estate, which is looking at notions of race and looking at the notions of the possibilities of race ever being not racist. And a lot of it's drawing from the philosophies and theologies of Noble Drew Ali of the Moorish Science Temple of America, which is a sect of Islam that predates Nation of Islam. And just looking at how the Moorish Science Temple of America constructs notions of race. Um, so I'm doing doing that. I, I also run a, a, a record store in San Bernardino, California, with a friend of mine, Michael Adame, who goes by the name, the, the artist name Phantom Threat. Anything Phantom Threat I puts out, I would say listen to. He, just, he, just, he actually just released a project. Um, and I definitely want you all to check it out. It's called Loose Leaves 2. Um, it's a very, it was a great project. Threat is a MC, producer, beat maker, singer, all of those things converge in this project. So I'm really excited about his work and the work that we're doing in serious cartoons, records and tapes. We're closed right now because of COVID, but we're, we hope to be open in the near future again. And, you know, we have a good selection of new and used vinyl. When, when things are normal, we also hold events there. Um, so if there's ever an event you want to sponsor in San Bernardino or if you're in the area, please let us know. And we, we, um, rent the space out to people for very nominal fees. Um, and we, and everything is set up. Um, in terms of what's exciting me musically right now, um, I've been listening to a lot of electronic jazz and, um, a lot of drum and bass, which is something that I like a lot. Um, Drum and bass is a, a musical genre that started in the UK from um, a, lot, a lot from the children of Jamaican immigrants and it, it's 170, 180 BPM type stuff, which is a, a convergence of reggae, hip hop, 
house. A lot of things converge in that genre. I'm kind of into a lot of that stuff right now. Um, Lensman, Aris, these are some names that you should, just as good, as good music to meditate to, I say. Um, really into that. I'm kind of looking in terms of my philosophical work. I'm looking a lot right now at, at um, philosophies of um, the Maya regions of Mexico, um, Belize, Guatemala, Honduras, et cetera. Um, and I'm also looking at literature in Belize and Honduras as well, just kind of researching not my my own history from those from from those regions, but also just the great ideas that come in terms of ecological justice and things that, and things and things that I think that Mayan science and religion has been saying about religion and science that we need to, we need need to actually pay more attention to. So I've been reading Hunbat's men's work, um, Mayan secrets of Mayan science and religion, and things like that to kind of have my attention right now to just broaden some discussions in science and religion if that's possible. So. Well, it's it's uh, one thing's clear, and that the world in general, your friends and family, the process community have a whole lot to learn from you. And, and well, what, what, what a vital imagination you have, uh, the passion. Uh, I hope that we can include links to your SoundCloud so that people can listen to some of the stuff you do, uh, which is which is brilliant when we publicize this and and I just want to thank you very much John for being with us today in this conversation and process. Thank you so much for having me Jay. It's always it's always it's always great to be among friends and I appreciate the work that the, that the Cobb Institute is doing. So I'm always here and and we're definitely allied in this together. All right. Sure. You take care. Take care. So, bye bye. Conversations in Process is a co-production of the Cobb Institute and Open Horizons. If you'd like to support this podcast and help us realize our aim to advance wisdom, harmony, and the common good, please consider making a donation by visiting cobb.institute. That's cobb.institute and clicking on the donate button.